Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode includes discussions of topics that may be upsetting for some listeners. Topics such as domestic violence, sexual assault, and physical violence. Today, I am telling you two stories. Stories that reveal a dark reality within the Black community. A reality that costs many Black women their lives. Today's first story is about a 16-year-old girl who was senselessly murdered in January of 2018 in Fairfax County, Virginia. Jolie Musa was initially declared missing on January 12th of 2018, but soon after, a confession from one of the closest people to her reveals the horrifying nature of her disappearance. Today's second story is about a 20-year-old woman, a mother from Dallas, Texas, who, like Jolie, was murdered by the hands of someone she loved. I'm your host, Nisa. Welcome to the Lost Crimes Library. Let's uncover the senseless murders of Jolie Musa and DeLashawn Jefferson. Jolie Musa lives in the Mount Vernon area of Fairfax County in Virginia. She's 16 years old, and she's braiding her twin sister Zane's hair. In the middle of braiding, Jolie tells her sister that she needs to leave. Jolie leaves their home around 4.15 p.m. on January 12th. The next time that a family member would hear from her is around 8 p.m. that night when she sends a text to her sister Zane that she's going to a party in Norfolk. When Jolie doesn't return home after the party, her family begins to worry. The last time anyone heard from her was around 8 p.m., but she should have been home by now. Where could she be? With suspicions and concerns mounting for the safety of Jolie, her family makes a missing persons report the day after she is last seen. However, local police aren't convinced yet that Jolie is endangered and missing. They think it's possible that Jolie simply ran away because there is no immediate evidence pointing to foul play or abduction. But this doesn't stop the family from searching for Jolie. The family takes to social media to raise awareness about Jolie's sudden disappearance. Fearful that Jolie could have been the victim of a dark crime, the family sparks an extensive search campaign that soon goes viral online. And what comes of it is remarkable. The family generates help from hundreds of volunteers. Volunteers and local police begin searching for Jolie Musa. 
When Jolie first went missing, the family was immediately suspicious of Jolie's 17-year-old boyfriend, Nabiyu Ebrahim. Nabiyu was Jolie's first boyfriend and her first love. They met at Mount Vernon High School, and Nabiyu was considered a great guy. He was a stellar student who had been accepted to multiple colleges and even played basketball. But there was more to Nabiyu than what he presented to the outside world. What was at first puppy love turned into something darker. When the young couple was alone, their relationship turned toxic, to say the least. You see, Nabiyu had anger issues, and he often took his issues out on Jolie. In September 2017, Nabiyu assaulted Jolie. This incident led to his removal from Mount Vernon High School and an immediate transfer to an alternative school for troubled teens. And a month before Jolie disappeared, Zane claims that Nabiyu choked Jolie into unconsciousness. At the time, Nabiyu thought he killed Jolie. He even texted a close friend to say that he needed to find a place to hide. But Jolie wasn't dead. She was still alive. Months later, she could still remember vividly the moment when she was close to death. And despite these abusive and traumatic events, the choking incident was never reported to police. After these incidents, Jolie promised her sister she would end contact with Nabiyu. But she never did. After the disappearance of Jolie, police obtained a search warrant and interviewed Nabiyu. During the interview, Jolie's boyfriend told investigators that his relationship with Jolie was rocky. He said that the relationship had grown cold and that the two no longer spoke. In the same interview, he admitted to past abuse in the relationship. He told police that he previously strangled Jolie on another occasion and asked his friend for information on how to hide a body. After this enlightening interview, Nabiyu was charged in connection with the strangling incident that was initially unreported and was later convicted in juvenile court. After he served his sentence in juvenile detention, he was arrested. He initially told police that he had not talked to Jolie on the day she went missing, but he eventually confessed to killing his girlfriend. What is described in Nabiyu's confession is chilling, and it describes in horrifying detail the moments leading up to Jolie's murder. In the confession, Nabiyu explains to the police where the couple met and how Jolie was killed. According to a Washington Post article, Jolie met Nabiyu at a place called Woodlawn Park, near her home on January 12th. At the park, the two argued about Nabiyu's placement at the alternative school. He blamed her for his transfer to Bryan High School, a school for troubled students. The way he saw it, Jolie ruined his future. Sometime during this argument, the situation evolved into a physical assault, when Nabiyu placed Jolie into what he called an MMA-style chokehold until she reached unconsciousness. Then, he lowered her body to the ground and began choking her again with both hands for nearly a minute. Nabiyu then propped Jolie's body up and choked her for a third time for another three to five minutes. He didn't stop choking her until his hands grew tired. After she stopped breathing, he carried her body into the woods and covered her dead body with some leaves nearby. Days later, he returned to the scene of the crime to dig out a shallow grave with a butcher knife. But by then, the search for Jolie's body was well underway, so it wouldn't be long before Jolie's body would be discovered. It turns out that on the night of Jolie's murder, to buy some time, Nabihu texted Jolie's sister Zane from Jolie's phone. Remember that message that was sent around 8 p.m. the night she disappeared? The one that said she was heading to a party? Well, 
it was actually Nabiyu who sent the message, pretending to be Jolie. When Zayn received that message, her sister was already dead. Two weeks after Jolie's murder, her body was found in Woodlawn Park. In court proceedings, Nabiyu Ebrahim pleaded guilty for first-degree murder and was later issued a life sentence by Circuit Court Judge Randy I. Bellows. Although Nabiyu is now 19, the sentencing is deemed rare for a juvenile offender. Jolie and her family receive the justice that so many families don't often get. But this doesn't make up for the Jolie-sized hole now in their family. Sarita Stewart, Jolie's mother, revealed after the sentencing hearing that the sentence was, quote, as good as it's going to get, end quote. But understandably, it does not erase the loss. In court, Zane was given the opportunity to address her sister's killer. In her statement, she said, quote, at one point, I feel like you ruined my life, but I'm not giving you the power anymore, because no one in this situation has to suffer but you. You think you won by ending my sister's life, but you are in for a rude awakening, end quote. Jolie's murder was senseless and irrational. Nabiyu blamed Jolie for his own actions. He thought that Jolie ruined his future when it was all his own undoing. He thought murder was justifiable revenge for his deserved transfer to an alternative school. He thought Jolie's life and future was dispensable. Nabiyu had a chance to change the trajectory of his future the moment he realized Jolie wasn't actually dead. But what followed in the months after the second assault shows his true character and a deep darkness. Jolie's aunt believes that the reason why Nabiyu killed her niece is because, quote, it was, if I can't have you, then no one can. So many of our girls are finding themselves in these domestic violence situations, end quote. And Jolie's aunt is unfortunately right. According to the Institute on Domestic Violence in the African American Community, black femicide, which is the homicide of black women, is the leading cause of death among young black women aged 15 to 34 and it's the leading cause of premature death among black women overall. Black women are three times more likely to die at the hands of a partner or ex-partner than members of other racial groups. And because the murders of black women are often underreported and underpublicized, the amount of black women being murdered by their intimate partners is most likely greater than what we think. And just as in the case of Jolie Musa, a history of prior physical abuse, especially near fatal assaults, is a primary risk factor for intimate partner femicide. Jolie wasn't and isn't the only black girl enduring dating and domestic violence. The absence of effective support systems, the marginalization, and the stigmatization within the black community are all factors that keep survivors of abuse from seeking help. Not to mention, the lack of reporting in the media of violence against women is creating an illusion that there is no problem, that black women aren't being murdered at alarming rates. But Jolie's family is making her death mean something. They began a nonprofit organization called Not a Runaway, which is working to create an Amber Alert type warning for cases in which children have disappeared, but there is no immediate evidence to show whether they were abducted or killed. Her family thinks that a system like this may have saved Jolie's life. In Dallas, Texas, Dalashawn Jefferson, who is 20 years old, is tacking a certificate on her bedroom wall. This certificate is proof that her boyfriend, Legarius Rainey, who is 24, is finally changing for the better. He has successfully finished anger management training. It's a promise that her boyfriend will never hurt her again. 
You see, Delachan and Ligarius had a tempestuous relationship. The couple had been together for years. They had been together since she was 13 and he was 17. And like most young couples, their relationship was on and off again at times. But this fact didn't stop Delachan from calling her boyfriend husband, or Ligarius from calling his girlfriend wifey, even though they weren't technically married. If you were looking from the outside in, their social media showed a happy couple. Sometimes, Delachan would post inspirational quotes about persevering through hard times, but no relationship is completely perfect. Delachan considered herself a ride-or-die girlfriend. Ligarius was frequently in trouble with the law and had a history of violence, but Delachan was still committed to her boyfriend. In 2012, he was accused of armed robbery. According to a Huffington Post article, a woman told police that Ligarius showed up at her house with a gun, demanded her to perform sexual acts for him, and then he punched her in the head and stole her Sony PlayStation 3. The state later dismissed the case after the victim changed her mind. She had decided that she didn't want to testify against him. Ligarius's actions show a man who is capable of many violent and abusive crimes, the fact that the victim refused to testify against him shows the amount of terror Ligarius is capable of inflicting in his victims. It's unclear when the abuse against Delachan began, but by the time she was 16 years old, a witness called police to report a domestic dispute between Ligarius and Delachan in 2014. When police arrived, Ligarius was gone, and Delachan told them she didn't want to pursue charges. There are many reasons why a black woman will choose not to press charges against their abuser. While survivors of all races experience shame about domestic violence, there is a culture of silence in black communities, according to Zoe Flowers, a domestic abuse advocate. One reason black women choose not to report is because they are socialized from a young age to believe that they must be strong all the time. It's the strong black woman stereotype. According to Flowers, quote, we are taught that telling your business, asking for help, showing vulnerability, these are all signs of weakness. We think we can handle whatever comes our way because that is the expectation." End quote. On the other hand, a woman might not report the abuse because they are taught to protect the race at all costs. As a black woman, you are often forced to choose between your race or your gender. To some who don't understand the complexity of being a black woman or any woman of color, they believe that if you choose one, you betray the other. According to Flowers, quote, that means victims of domestic violence may stay quiet to shield their communities from additional negative attention, end quote. And this is all too often the case. Black women feel the responsibility to protect the image of black men. In a world that already labels black men as dangerous and violent, black women fear that reporting their abuse will only open black men up to more scrutiny and further stereotyping. Flowers supports this, saying there's also a general attitude that women should stand by their partners no matter what. And why is this the case? Because the world is hard on black men. The system doesn't make it easy for black women to report their abuse. Beth Ritchie, professor of African American Studies and Gender and Women's Studies at the University of Illinois Chicago, says, quote, There is a feeling in black communities that the only time violence against black women is taken seriously is when it can be used to feed the arrest and detention of a black man, end quote. And because of this belief, black women who are being abused make decisions that are not in their best interest. Black women who suffer abuse don't just worry about the ramifications for their male counterparts if they choose to report the abuse. They also worry about themselves. What if they get arrested? They also worry about their children. What if their kids get put into child protective services? 
Greta Gardner, the deputy director at the National Center on Violence Against Women in the Black Community, says, quote, There's this pathology about black women, that we are kind of combative, the angry black woman trope. We aren't seen as true victims, end quote. And you can't forget about the economic factors that influence whether or not a black woman who's being abused will report the abuse. According to a Huffington Post article, black women are more than twice as likely to live in poverty than white women. They are disproportionately single heads of households and often don't have the financial means to leave their abusers. With the stigmatization of abuse within the black community and the system making it nearly impossible for black women to feel safe reporting abuse, it is completely reasonable for black women to think that seeking help and filing charges isn't worthwhile. By the time De Lachan was 18 years old, she was in a hopeless place and was willing to be the one to call police this time around. In February 2016, De LaShawn and Ligarius began an argument over the phone, which eventually spiraled into a physical argument. After the couple hung up, Ligarius showed up at her house and knocked on her door. After she opened the door, Ligarius grabbed the back of her neck, scratching her, then pulled her out of the apartment and hit her on the side of her head with a handgun. De LaShawn was able to get away and call 911 from inside of her home, but when she went back outside of her apartment, her boyfriend began shooting at her. When police arrived at the scene, photos were taken of De LaShawn's fresh bruises and scars. Police filed an arrest warrant against Ligarius, but once again, he fled the scene before police arrived. What he left behind was the gun he used to hit De LaShawn, which was confiscated by the police. While tending to De LaShawn, police asked her an interesting question. Did Ligarius impede her breathing when he grabbed her neck? Apparently, police may ask this question to discern the level of quote-unquote severity of the abuse. They ask this because research shows that men who strangle are more likely to go on and kill their intimate partners. And at this moment, I can't help but think of Jolie Musa. After the second incident, in which police were called to the scene, the young couple soon reconciled. But, to be expected, the calm was soon disrupted. In the middle of the night, while sleeping over at Ligarius's place, she was awoken by her boyfriend demanding that they have sex. She said no, but he didn't like that answer. So he knocked her to the ground and began beating her. Her screams woke up Ligarius' mother, who ran to help her. Ligarius' sister's boyfriend also heard the screams and came running to help. He eventually pulled Ligarius off of De Lachan, but Ligarius had no intentions of being deterred during his rage. He grabbed a gun hidden under his bed and started firing at random threatening to shoot everyone in the room. One bullet grazed his own mother's thumb, but no one else was shot. After another tirade of abuse and violence, Ligarius was taken to Dallas County Jail. For his two separate assaults against De LaShawn, he was charged with four counts of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, charges that could bring up to 20 years behind bars. But this worried 18-year-old De LaShawn, because she had just found out that she was pregnant. While Ligarius was in jail, prosecutors were struggling to build a case because none of the witnesses who saw Ligarius assault De Lachan and De Lachan herself refused to testify against him. It's very possible that they refused to testify out of fear. In a Huffington Post article, Miriam Kaba, an anti-violence activist and prison abolitionist, believes that, quote, community accountability is the key to addressing domestic violence, end quote. De LaShawn was willing to give her boyfriend another chance for the sake of her child, so she visited him in the county jail every week. 
and by October 2016, she gave birth to her son, Ray Ray. And almost a year later, in November 2017, Ligarius was set free in a plea deal. He pleaded guilty to assault with a deadly weapon and returned for four years of deferred adjudication probation. This basically meant that his charges would be dismissed if he stayed out of trouble for four years and completed the conditions of his release. But of course, Ligarius did not stay out of trouble, and less than a year after his release, De Lachan was dead. Within a few months after his release, De Lachan was pregnant with her second child. Her family noticed that something felt off with De Lachan. They couldn't tell if De Lachan loved Ligarius, feared him, or was just worried about her future, or if it was a mix of the three. De Lachan's sister sensed that something wasn't right, but when she asked De Lachan, she said that everything was okay. De Lachan made plans to get her GED and pursue a nursing degree after the birth of her second child, but those plans were cut short in September 2018. It was an ordinary Sunday, and De Lachan was in the kitchen cooking while her boyfriend was in her bedroom, and her son Ray Ray was playing with cousins in the hallway. When Ray Ray began to fight with his cousins over a toy, De Lachan took her son to her room for a timeout. A few minutes passed with the three alone in the bedroom when De Lachan's sister, LaJoyce, suddenly heard yelling. She bursted into De Lachan's bedroom and saw Ligarius attacking De Lachan. LaJoyce jumped on top of Ligarius, and so did her fiancé. Somewhere in the attack, Ligarius pulled out a gun, and just as he had done during every other violent outburst, he began shooting at random. Only this time, the bullets actually connected. Two bullets went through LaJoyce's fiancé's shoulder, and another bullet went through De Lachan's back as she tried to run out the door. Ray Ray witnessed it all. He saw his mother fall down in the hallway. He saw his grandmother run over to his mother to hold her. He saw his grandmother squeezing his mother's wrist to check for a pulse. He saw his mother dying. The homicide victimization of black women often involves three characteristics. One, the perpetrator is not a stranger. They are known to the victim, they're an intimate partner, or they're a former partner. Two, the murder occurs in the context of a domestic dispute. And three, the most common murder weapon is a firearm. It's disturbing and eerie how accurate the research into homicide victimization of black women is. In Jolie's case, she met almost all of the characteristics. Jolie knew her killer, she was previously abused by her boyfriend, and her murder occurred in the middle of a domestic dispute. De Lachan knew her killer. The murder happened during a domestic dispute in which there were accusations of infidelity, and Ligarius murdered De Lachan with a gun, one that he threatened her with multiple times before. Three months after De Lachan's death, the family is grieving, but they're also celebrating the life of De Lachan's daughter, who is named after her. Minutes after De Lachan's death, she had to be rushed to the hospital so doctors could perform an emergency C-section to deliver baby De Lachan. Ligarius Rainey, who was charged with De Lachan's murder, is facing the possibility of a life sentence. LaJoyce, De Lachan's sister, struggles to accept the loss of her sister. In an article with the Huffington Post, LaJoyce shares that she tries not to think about it. It's too much. Ray Ray keeps asking for his mother. He's too young to know, and yet he knows she's not coming back. De Lachan's mother, Sharon Jefferson, says, quote, I take it one day at a time. I miss her so much. It is hard for me to get over it. I don't think I'll ever get over my child's death." End quote. If you are a victim of domestic violence, 
or you know someone who is a victim and you need help, you can call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE or visit thehotline.org. If you'd like to listen to more episodes of the Lost Crimes Library, you can find it on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at the LCL Pod for any podcast updates. Remember, sharing is caring, so make sure to share this podcast and also leave a review. It helps a lot. And don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss any new episodes. This episode was written and hosted by Nisa Henderson, and it was produced by Channing Tapp and Nisa Henderson. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.